Hey, this is Aaron Brockett, lead pastor of Traders Point Church. Regardless of where you are tuning in around the world or if you call Indianapolis home, I just wanna thank you for tuning in to our weekly message podcast. Our prayer and desire is that God would take the content of these messages and use it to encourage you in your relationship with Jesus as you discover God's purpose for your life. All right, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good to see you today. We have survived Snowpocalypse 2019. Good to have you guys. Uh, we are one church gathering in multiple spaces and places around our city. So I just want to say hello to each and every one of our campuses, uh, whether you're joining us from north, downtown, west, uh, maybe some of you tuning in online. Uh, those of you here at Northwest, we're really, really glad to have you. And especially if this is your first time to be with us, maybe you're a guest. Uh, we are in week two of a four-part series of messages that uh, we're simply calling uh, killing what's killing you. And this uh, whole idea really stems from something that a guy by the name of John Owen, uh, he's a, a, a dead theologian, he said this a long, long time ago. He wrote, Be killing sin or sin be killing you. And I think that um, John Owen must have been studying Romans chapter 8 because this guy named Paul writes the book of Romans and he says something very similar in verse 13. He said, if through the power of the Spirit we can put to death the things of our sinful nature, you will live. And so what we want to do as we begin a brand new year is we want to identify some of those things that have been killing us. And what I mean by that is just what are some of the things that are holding you back? Uh, what held you back in 2018? What were some of the things that kept getting in the way? And then we want to go after that and remove it. You know, I'm not, I said this last week, I'm not um, a New Year's resolutions hater. I think that you should make a bunch of resolutions and I hope that you accomplish all of them. I think you should set goals and go after them. But as I reflect back on some of the things that have actually hindered me from accomplishing some of the resolutions or goals in my life, it's not that it was, um, uh, not that I wasn't well-intentioned, it's not that I couldn't actually achieve it or that it was too far away to achieve it, it was that something got in the way. Something actually short-circuited my ability to follow through on that and achieve it. There was something that was holding me back. And that's what we want to uh, do as we start off a brand new year, is we want to identify some of those things. And last week, I just kind of used this uh, analogy or a metaphor to try to help us visually with this of a, of a spider web. I just said, if you walk into a spider web, chances are our reaction is to flail our arms and to run around and to get rid of it and then to identify all the other webs that we see and get rid of those and they'll go away for a while until something else spins a new web that we walk into. And so if we want to get rid of some of these webs, we've got to identify the thing that spun the web to begin with. And so last week we talked about the web of envy that all of us can walk into and if envy is the web that we walk into, Chances are the thing that spun that web is this thing called comparison. And the difference between comparison and actually being inspired or motivated by somebody else is that what we end up doing is we compare ourselves and our blessings and our opportunities with someone else to try to determine our own sense of worth. And so we, we talked about that last week. If you missed that message, you can go and catch up on it. Today, here's where we are. I want to talk about the web of worry. Uh, any worriers in the room? Any of you worried I was going to ask that question just a second ago? 
man, I have a tendency to let worry into my life. And, and uh, I don't mean to mix too many metaphors, but, you know, worry to me almost kind of feels like worry is always there. Like it, there's always something to be worried about. And it kind of feels like, uh, like these like rabid dogs are kind of chained up in my mind. And I can always hear them barking. And they're just about ready to break free and to, to come crashing in. And if, and if worry is the thing that we're wrestling with, chances are fear is, is behind it. And so um, what are some of the things that maybe you're, you're afraid of? You know, there's a whole bunch of things I could think of. And about uh, 13 years ago, my grandparents offered to take our whole extended family on vacation. They wanted to take some of their savings and just bless our family with that. We're really uh, grateful for the opportunity to do that with them. And uh, they took us to this all-inclusive resort in the Dominican Republic. And if you've ever been to an all-inclusive, you know, there's really no reason to leave. Like everything that you could want is like right there on the hotel grounds. But uh, you could meet with the concierge and there was like several things that you could, some trips, some excursions that you could book with the concierge. And one of those was the zoo. And so uh, my wife wanted to take, we only had two kids at the time. They were both very, very young. She wanted to take our kids to the zoo and my sister agreed that she would take her little boy to the zoo. And, and so they booked the tickets. The guys in the family, we all booked like a deep sea fishing trip during that time. And uh, about 30 minutes before uh, I had to get Lindsay and the kids up to the uh, lobby where the tour bus would pick them up to take them to the zoo, um, I ended up locking the keys to our hotel room inside. Thank you very much, right? It's one of my gifts. And uh, and timing, it's everything. And so we're waiting for the hotel staff to get to our room to unlock it for us so we can get the key. And Lindsay really needs to get in the room. She needs her purse and some other things. And so by the time they came in and let us into the room, she missed the tour bus. Like, we, they, we were late. And so we rushed them up to the front. We talked to the concierge. Is there anything that you can do? And what happened next happened so fast that I didn't really have time to process it. Immediately, the concierge uh, called a taxi cab to the front. And this was long before the days of Uber. So this uh, minivan that's about 15, 20 years old comes rolling up, uh, black smoke pouring out the back. The whole thing just looked like a death trap. Like the guy it was rusted out. The guy opened up the sliding door. I don't recall there being any seatbelts inside, let alone any child safety seats, which our kids needed. The guy didn't speak any English, so the concierge talking to him, telling him where to take uh, my wife and kids to the zoo. At least that's what I think that he was saying to him. For all I knew, he was telling them where to kidnap them to. And so they get into the van, and I should have gotten in with them, or I should have figured something else out, but it happens so fast. They get in the van, they take off, and then it dawns on me, like, Lindsay doesn't have a cell phone. We're in a foreign country. I don't know where they're going. I don't know the lay of the land. And I'm standing there, like, in every single Liam Neeson movie <laughs> that I have ever seen, which it's the same movie, all right? goes flashing through my mind, except I don't have a very special set of skills to go after them. And they were gone for like the next four or five hours. I had no way of checking in with them. I have no way of seeing if they were okay. I just worried. And I was a, my mind went to some really dark places as to what might have happened to them. And can I just ask you today, what, what keeps you up at night? What are some of the things that you're worried by? And I'm not talking hypothetical. I'm talking real worries that you brought in here with you today. In fact, maybe for many of you, it's difficult for you to even pay attention to what I'm saying. Like you're tracking with me for a few minutes and then all of a sudden the worries start to creep in and you begin to let your thoughts wander off with those. 
What are you afraid of? What are, what's maybe some of the worst case scenarios that you've got going on in your mind? We can worry about everything, both big and small. You, you may or may not know that the number one fear that people cite that they have is the fear of public speaking. And I can testify, that's a big one. I'm doing it right now. Y'all are scary, all right? It's just... There's all kinds of things that run through your mind. Like, it doesn't matter how many times I do this. Like, I'm always afraid. And some of you may or may not believe me, but it's true. Like, I walk out here on stage, and usually it's just a flood of questions. It's like, okay, did, did I study enough? Do I know what I'm talking about? What if I say something wrong? What if you misinterpret something? What if my fly is down? <laughs> and what's worse, even if it is, I couldn't do anything about it because that'd make it worse. It's just, there's all kinds of things that flood through my mind. And what are you afraid of? My, my guess is if you're anything like me, your fears have to do with maybe somebody that you love. Like what, what if something bad happens to someone I care for? Maybe your fears have to do with your kids. Maybe your fears have to do with what if we can never have kids? Well, what if your fears have to do with your aging parents or maybe your fears are wrapped up with a money issue or something's going on at work right now or, or maybe you're, you're getting ready to move to a new city and you're fearful of what might happen there. See, most of the time I think our fears have to do with the future. That our fears are really an unhealthy preoccupation with what might happen. It's not, not guaranteed to happen, it might happen. And so we end up obsessing on that or focusing on that to the point that we actually miss out on some pretty significant things that God wants to say and some things that God wants to do in and through our lives. Now, not all fear is unhealthy. I mean, there's a, there's a healthy version of fear. I'm really thankful that my kids were all born into this world hardwired with just some natural fear because that keeps them from hurting themselves. Hopefully it keeps us from making foolish decisions in our adult years. Just this healthy fear. But when fear crosses the line into being unhealthy, that's a, a really dangerous thing that hinders us and holds us back. Now, what's the difference between healthy fear and unhealthy fear? As near as I can tell, unhealthy fear occurs when it gets unhitched from hope. Unhealthy fear takes place when it, become, when it disconnects from a rightly placed confidence and our mind just runs wild as to all the worst case scenarios. Uh, the um, German word for worry literally means to choke or to strangle and the, the Greek root word for worry is literally a divided mind. And, and maybe some of you know exactly what that's like. It's this inner dialogue that you got going on all day long it's like, okay, I got this. No, you got this. No, God's got this. No, I got this. No, I'll take it back again. And it's just this like constant back and forth all day long. It's just this divided mind that causes us to be, to be somewhat paralyzed in the way that we think and in the way that we live our lives. That's why I think that the number one command that's given in the Bible has nothing to do with loving others has nothing to do with obeying God. The number one command, many of you know this, in the Bible is just simply two words. Fear not. Did you know it's mentioned 365 times? That's one for every single day of the year. And I don't think that's by accident. And, and maybe you knew that. Maybe you've heard that before. That fear is the most common command in the Bible. But have you ever stopped to ask yourself why? Why is it in there so much? 
And I think the reason why fear is listed so much in the Bible is because God knew that this would be the number one issue in all of our hearts. That every single day there is something to be worried about. There's something to be fearful of because we can't control everything. I can't control everything that's going on inside of my body. I can't control everything that's going on around the world. There's so many things that I don't have control of, and it leads me to feel worried and concerned. And God knew that this would be the number one issue, and so he says to us over and over and over again, fear not. And just like last week, I don't want to just say, you know, if you're afraid, just stop it. What do we do with it? Like, what do we do with our fears and our worries? And I I don't think that we can eliminate them. I think we redirect them. And so I'm going to look at a passage out of the Old Testament book of Judges, Judges chapter 6. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and meet me there. And I think that somebody that we can really relate to when it comes to to fear and, and what he was wrestling with in his fears is this guy named Gideon. Now, Gideon is actually mentioned in the New Testament as well. In Hebrews chapter 11, um, he is mentioned in the Faith Hall of Fame. He's one of the heroes of the faith. But when we meet Gideon, Gideon doesn't look anything at all like a hero. Gideon looks pinned down and paralyzed in fear. Now, just a, a little bit of backstory. Gideon is a leader in the nation of Israel. And in the book of Judges, the Israelites are being picked on and pushed around by a group of people known as the Midianites. And it was causing a lot of fear in their lives. And so the Israelites had gone on the run. They're hiding out in shelters. They're hiding out up in the mountains. They're deep in the caves. And that's when God appears through an angel to this guy named Gideon. Now notice where he is. Verse 11. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. So get the mental picture in your minds is that Gideon is down in a pit. He's in a wine press, like underground, but he's not pressing grapes. He's threshing wheat. Now that would be very, very unusual. That would be like you and I saying, hey, if you need me, I'll be doing some gardening in the basement in the dark. That's not where you garden, right? You, you would thresh wheat up above ground, out in the open where everybody could see you because the wind needed to come to blow away the chaff. Well, Gideon has been driven underground. He's threshing wheat because they need food, but he's doing it in a wine press, not designed for that. His fear had driven him underground. He doesn't want to be seen by the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord speaks some courage into his life, and Gideon isn't ready to receive it. Look at verse 12. It says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero... The Lord is with you. First thing that the angel says is mighty hero. I don't know about you, but Gideon doesn't seem very heroic here. And I don't know if the angel's being sincere or sarcastic. But I like to think that the angel's being sincere. The angel is trying to speak some things into Gideon's life that maybe he doesn't yet see. And maybe he's blinded to because of his fear. And Gideon responds with three questions and a statement. They're found in verse 12. He says, Sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. See, behind each one of these questions, 
And behind that statement that he just made is fear. And you can just hear it in each of the questions. He says, why is this happening? And where is God in the midst of this? And the conclusion that I've come to is that God must have abandoned us. And it's easy to go there whenever we are pinned down by our fears. So I think one of the things that we oftentimes don't naturally connect is some of these other emotions that come along with fear. There might be a number of you that would actually say, you know, uh, when you found out that we were talking about worry and fear today, you might have said, well, I don't know that this is as much of an issue for me as maybe last week. Like last week, envy and comparison, you, you, you nailed me on that one. But I think I got a pretty good handle on worry and fear. And, I, and I'm glad that you do. But worry and fear actually manifest itself in ways that we don't often connect with fear. And we see it right here with Gideon, is that anger is oftentimes a reflex of fear. Gideon gets angry. So some of you might say, well, I don't really feel like I worry all that much. Well, but do you get angry at times? Does your anger get the best of you? Do you have some anger issues? And if you have some anger issues, it's possible that really what you have is fear issues. Because your anger is actually a manifestation of the fear that you're experiencing. Let me illustrate it this way. Uh, those of you in the room that have kids or if you've ever been responsible for a young child and you've ever lost them out in a public place and for there are several moments that go by and you don't know where they are and you're frantically looking around and if you've, that's ever happened, that's hypothetically happened to me two or three times. <laughs> but if that, I've, I lost my son one time in an airport. He was just a toddler and I looked up and he was gone. And man, those few moments felt like hours and you're frantic almost to the point of tears where you're like searching for him and then when you find them like when I found my son like I ran to him and my tears of fear turned into tears of joy and I wrapped my arms around him and I kissed him and I hugged him and I loved on him and then I got angry and I'm like don't you ever leave my side I told you to stay put like what, what is that well, it's a response of fear. How many of you, uh, let's talk road rage. I know that that's not an issue for our church. <laughs> but if you've ever had a little bit of road rage, I mean, the nicest people in the world that can have road rage. You ever been with somebody and all of a sudden they're just so kind and polite and all of a sudden they're like, you moron! You know? And if you notice everybody's name is moron when they cut you off. And when they cut you off in traffic, well, what, where does that anger come from? Well, it's fear. Maybe you were afraid that they were going to take your life because they made some illegal move. Or maybe you're going to be late to a meeting that's really, really important. And what it is, is it's a flare-up that is connected to our fear. We see that with Gideon. And I love how the angel responds. He, he doesn't try to squelch it. He doesn't try to shame him or sway him. The angel just lets him vent. And then he just simply says this in verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go. It's amazing to me how many times in the scriptures that God responds with that word. Just go. Like just, just, just move in some way. Just take a step. Just, just what, what's the next step in front of you? Go with the, what's the word? Strength that you have. That's interesting. Doesn't really seem like Gideon is in a position of strength. But God says, go with the strength that you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. Now here's the source of his strength. He says, I am sending you. And notice that Gideon just is not ready to receive it. He says, but Lord, 
How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. In other words, Gideon does not appear to be in this position of strength, and all he can see is his weakness. See, I think that this is where our fears can oftentimes manifest itself is through insecurity. Insecurity is oftentimes just a, a reflection of the fear that we have in our lives. It's this inner dialogue that we've all got going in our minds that keeps us pinned down. And I just wonder, maybe for, for the ladies in the room, that the way that this can oftentimes work is, is this inner dialogue kind of looks like this. Uh, I'm not blank enough. Ladies, just how would you fill in that blank? In, your, in some of your fearful moments when you feel peer, peer, pinned down in fear, you just say, well, I'm just not blank enough. I'm, I'm just not uh, smart enough. I'm just not with it enough. I'm just not pretty enough. I'm just not thin enough. I'm just not whatever it is, successful enough. Like I look out, I see all these other ladies that just seem to be killing it or these other working moms that just seem to be juggling so many things and, and I'm just not sufficient enough. It's just this inner dialogue that really comes out in insecurity. It's all connected to fear. For, for guys in the room, it, it's very similar. It just looks a little bit different. We just simply say, do, do I really have what it takes? Do I really have what it takes to step into that and to be the husband that she really wants me to be? I don't know that I do, and so I, I step back. Do I really have what it takes to step up and to be the man of God that my kids need me to be, my friends need me to be? Do I have what it takes? And I think that for many of us, we just conclude, I don't. And so we shrink back. We step back from it. And out of all the ways that the angel could have responded to Gideon, notice how he does. Verse 16, the Lord said to him, I'll be with you. Man, there's power in those words. Hey, I'll be with you. And you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. In other words, he just says, hey, Gideon, I'm not going to try to give you like this pep talk and tell you that you're really great and wonderful. I'm going to tell you that I'll be with you. There's just something really powerful about that. Like any time that I've ever had to go into a scenario that I was nervous, like maybe it's a conversation that I know is going to be difficult to have, or maybe there's a, a responsibility that I need to step into, or maybe I'm a new person in a new place for a first time. There's always power when somebody close to me says, hey, I'll go with you. You're not alone. And if there's power when another human being says that to you, it gets magnified times a million when the God of the universe says to you, I'll be with you. Jesus would say to us, the one that is in you is greater than having me with you. He said that to the disciples, meaning his Holy Spirit. And he has promised us his Holy Spirit that he is with you. Jesus would say this in John chapter 16. He says, I'm saying all this so that you'll have peace in me. In this world, you're going to have trouble. Translation, in this world, tons of things to be worried and fearful of. But I want you to have courage because I've overcome the world and I'm with you in and through this. Am I speaking to anybody today or is it just me? I wrote this sermon just for me. Just for me. That's all I need to hear. Now notice this. Let me wrap it up. Verse 17. Gideon replies, well, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. And uh, my home state is uh, Missouri, which is the show me state, meaning I ain't going to believe it until I see it. That's essentially what Gideon does. 
And see, I mean, the angels just said some tremendous things to him. And he's just like, all right, prove it. <laughs> prove that this really is the Lord speaking to me. And I'm not just having like an hallucination or a dream. And I think this is just the one last thing that I would just kind of point out is that oftentimes our control issues, I don't know if we got any control freaks in the room. I'm guessing we do. I'm one. That if you've got some control issues, or really it's connected to fear as well. I, I don't trust this other person. I don't know that I trust God enough to just handle this. And so let me handle it. And so our control issues are often connected to our fear. And by chapter 7, Gideon, to his credit, was able to trust God. And, and he did let go of his fears. And he ended up taking 300 men into battle. And they defeated the Midianites just as the angels said that they would. Now, here's the principle. There's, there's so many things that we could learn from that great passage. Here's the one principle I just want you to take home with you. And it's just simply this. Is that the invitation to walk by faith is an invitation to step into your fears. See, that, that's what faith is. And maybe you've had people say, well, you just need to have faith. Or you just need to walk by faith. Or you just need to have more faith. And, and I don't know if you've ever known really what to do with that. It at times almost seems like kind of a throwaway statement or just something that somebody should say. Or like, well, I really wonder what that means. For a long time, I always just thought like, like living by faith or having faith or walking by faith meant that I just need to really try hard to believe something that feels impossible to believe. That's not faith. Is that I really just need to, to, to try harder to believe something that is difficult to believe. That's not faith. Here's what faith is. When fear surrounds you and it's everywhere, you step into it. Not, not, not in your strength, but the strength that God provides. And you see what happens. It's been said that the Spirit of God is a preservationist, meaning that He provides power only as it's needed. And I don't know about you, but oftentimes I wait and, and say, God, give me power, then I'll step. And he goes, no step, then I'll give you power. And it's a standoff with God. And I lose every time. And God says, hey, you, you want to walk by faith? Then take your pick of all the fears. All the barking rabid dogs that are chained up in your mind just waiting to get loose. Pick one. And step into it. With the strength, this time, with the strength that only I can provide. Now, what does that look like? As we begin to step into our fears, I've, I've noticed that every opportunity, every way in which God uses my life in a significant way to impact others and to, and to advance his purpose and his kingdom on this earth, it almost always comes by me stepping into what I'm afraid of. It's almost never like, well, this seems safe. Let me go over here, right? Wow, this is amazing. No, it's actually, I need to step into something that terrifies me and watch God work a miracle. So here's just a few questions for, for us to ask as we step into our fears. The first question is just simply this. What am I standing on? Like, is the ground underneath my feet solid? And I think for many of us, it's really, really shaky. Now, some of you might have been wondering what this was. And I'm going to do what some of you are afraid that I might do. All right, so... If you weren't afraid, you will be um, by, by this. All right, so or some of you are going to enjoy this too much. The only goal here is to not end up on YouTube. All right, so for many of us, this is a, a stability ball. All right, there we go. All right, thanks so much. Appreciate that. I got this. I got this. Whoop. All right, so uh, many of you, maybe uh, you've seen these in a gym. Maybe this is in your basement. You bought it and you never used it. But... Uh, but a stability ball, what it is, is when you stand on it, you're, uh, my body is way more tense than what it was just a minute ago. 
Uh, I've got a brand new fear, by the way, speaking in public while standing on a stability ball. And, um, but uh, I'm making all these tiny adjustments, and what it does, it tightens up your core. You use muscles you never used before. That, that's the whole thing. But, but I'm way more focused on staying upright. Now, many of us live our lives like this. Like, our, our, the ground is shaking underneath our feet. We're trying to do this in our own power. Now, now here's what the, uh, God's Word says about God. God says that God is a rock, that He never changes, that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You want to know what does change? The stock market. Whoa! Any of you check your IRAs or 401ks lately? Don't, all right? Uh, you know what? You want to know what does change? The behavior of your kids. Whoa. I, was like, I thought we covered that. Now I've got to recover it with you. I, you want to know what does change? The conditions at work or the mood of your boss. You want to know what does change? Your physical appearance. It's just all these like tiny adjustments that we're making. And many of us are living our lives like this. Like we come to maybe church on the weekend and we give it up to God. We get right back up on the stability ball as soon as we leave. We're like, okay, I'm, I can handle it. I can do it. And we're constantly like making all these adjustments. We're afraid. We're living our lives defensive and we're exhausted. And we wonder where the power is. You know what the invitation to walk by faith is? Jesus just says, hey, would you just simply trust me? Would you just simply step off the ball onto solid ground. Here's the second question. <laughs> I don't know if you're clapping because you like the point or clapping that I didn't break my neck. But anyway... I'll take either. All right, so here, here's the next question is just what am I doing? What am I doing on a daily basis uh, to help uh, redirect my fears? Now, here's what I mean. There is a connection between your peace and your practice. So, so uh, if I uh, overeat and I never exercise, I can expect health issues because my practice has facilitated that. If I overspend and I don't save enough and I don't trust God with what he says about my finances, then I can expect some financial stress and worry. There's a connection there. And I think that for, for many of us, we, and especially as a society as a whole, is that God has told us in the, in the scriptures to fear him. That's not like a terrifying fear. That's just a rightly placed fear. And I think that for many of us, as, as we've, as a society, as we've sort of stopped fearing God, we fear everything else. But if you can fear God, you fear nothing else. And so there is a connection between our peace and our practice. And so let me just uh, give you this principle right here. On a daily basis, develop a routine that helps you focus on the promises of God rather than the problems of your day. Those are the only thing you can do. You can either focus on the promises or you can focus on the problems. And so this is where daily Bible reading like comes into play. This isn't just about like learning something you don't know or, or uh, trying to understand the Bible better. I hope those things happen. But here's what happens is that when you spend daily time in God's word, you get reminded of his promises and they supersede the problems. So, man, you, you, with the daily Bible reading, get subscribed to it. We'll send you daily Bible reading every day. But even on your own, I mean, it's not, it's not in and of itself everything you need to do. I would encourage you to do this. Start with a, um, a, a book of the Bible and read two chapters. It'll take you about 10 minutes every day. And here's all you need to do. Find one verse that gives you hope and reminds you of what is true. 
Just one, just, that's all you got to do. One verse that gives you hope and reminds you of what is true. And then you take that verse with you all through the day. You do that all month long. You've got 30 verses stored up in your mind and heart. And it just begins to equip you. Here's the, here's the third thing that I'd just leave you with. The question is just where am I looking? Where am I looking? You know, um, Peter uh, was walking out to Jesus on the water, which is absolutely amazing. But he began to sink if you remember this story, when? He took his eyes off of Jesus. He started looking at the storm. He started looking at the waves and the, and the wind. In fact, Peter took his eyes off of who he was walking to and started focusing on what he was walking through. And that's when he began to sink. So I just want to do something with you at all of our campuses. Everybody, uh, close one eye, the eye you usually wink with. If you can't wink, I'm sorry. But just try it, right? Close one eye, take your index finger and put it as close to your eyeball as you can without actually touching your eyeball because that would be gross. Just get it as close as you can to the point that you're actually blocking me out. All right, now hold it there just for a minute. For many of us, this is the way we live our lives. We're holding up the problems of our lives so closely to the retina of our minds that it is blocking out the enormous promises and potential that God has for your life. Some of us, not all of us, but some of us are pleading for the peace of God to flood into our mind over our worries and fears. And God wants to, but he doesn't have any place to put it because your mind is so full. And it's this idea that I don't get to control what I'm walking through, but I get, do get to control who I focus on. And so I, I just want to leave you with something real, real practical. I, I heard this. I can't even remember where I heard this, but I liked it. It's just an acrostic spot, S-P-O-T, that when fear begins to creep into your life, here's the first thing. Just stand your ground. Stand your ground. When you fear the, feel the fears begin to creep into your mind, you stand your ground. Exodus 14, verses 13 and 14 says, Moses said to the people, don't be afraid, just stand still. And watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Many of us, we get all this like flurry of activity. God's just like, man, just stand still. Just, just stand your ground. Uh, P, pray for peace. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Did you know that there are more references to joy in the book of Philippians than any other book in the Bible? Which is ironic because Paul wrote it in a prison cell in Rome where he had been sentenced to death. I don't think I would mention joy like ever. Paul brings it up all the time. And he, this is where he talks about worry. And he says, uh, you want a vibrant prayer life? Take all those things that you're worried about, turn them inside out. And just redirect them to God. Uh, oh, object to the lies. Just object to them. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, take captive every thought to make it obedient. Meaning there's all these rogue thoughts running through your mind, that inner dialogue. You take it captive and you object to the lies that they're telling you. And then T, trust God. Psalm 56, when I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? Listen, to be worried and afraid, it's just human. And we're all there. All of us have things to be worried about. And every single weekend as we gather together, regardless of what campus you're joining us from, 
I don't want you to, to just get something out of the worship service. I hope you get something out of this. But oftentimes, it's not what we get out of it and take home with us. It's what we bring here and leave here. And for many of us, a really good, a really good worship service is when you come in with your arms full of worry and fear and you go home empty-handed because you left them here. You didn't take them back home with you. My fears are mostly wrapped up in these two little words right here, what if, what if? What if I let Lindsay down? What if I let you down? What if I let my kids down? What if this horrible tragedy happened? Like what if, I can, I can torment myself around that. One of the primary things I often think about is just this, this weekly thing I do where I stand up here and teach you. And I know that like preaching a good sermon doesn't help. It just adds to the pressure because you're only as good as your last sermon. At least that's what I'm afraid of. And so as soon as I get done, you know what I do on my drive home? So usually I'll pull over and I, start, I pull out my cell phone and I start taking notes for next week. I'm like, why do I do that? Well, it's because I'm afraid I'm not going to have anything to say when I stand up here next week. You know, I have a, a nightmare that reoccurs about once a quarter that usually goes one of two ways. One version of the nightmare is I, as I uh, get here and I stand up on the stage and I have written the best sermon I have ever written. Clearly not this one, but I've written the best sermon I've ever written in my life and I stand up on stage to preach it and all the seats are empty. Nobody's here. The other version of that prayer is I, or that dream, is I get here and I stand up on stage and the place is packed to the gills, standing room only, and I forgot to write a sermon. And you all start booing me and I wake up in a cold sweat. I have that dream like once a quarter. You know what that is? That's connected to my insecurity issues and my control issues and my identity issues and and I can hold on to those things or I can let them go. And for you, I'm, maybe your set of fears and worries are very, very different than mine, but we're similar in the ways that we, we need to let them go. And so what I want to ask you to do right now at all of our campuses, we're going to just lower the lights just a little bit just for privacy. But I just want to ask you right now that if you walked in here today with your arms full of worries and fears, would you just be willing and courageous enough to stand to your feet to not be pinned down by it anymore, but to stand up just right where you are and just be willing to say, I'm gonna leave him here today. I'm gonna let go of him today. I'm gonna leave him at the foot of the cross. As I worship, I'm not just singing lyrics. I'm actually letting these things go. And even if you don't fully believe the lyrics, you're actually singing the lyrics in faith. You're stepping into your doubts. You're stepping into your cynicism. You're stepping into your fears. Man, just look around the room. You are not alone. You are not alone in your fear. You're not alone in your worries. And what we want to do, like, like I know that not everybody's comfortable raising their hands in worship. And you're right. It is not a show. And you're not performing for anybody else but God. But there are times in my life when all these fears, all these voices start creeping in. The critics, the people who misunderstand me, even my own narrative. And you know what I have to do from time to time? I have to stop and say, everybody shut up but Jesus. Everybody be quiet but Jesus because I can't hear his voice. 
And so when you lift your hands, that's a sign of empty-handedness. I'm letting go of my fears and my worries. And as we lift our voices and as we sing, may we do that. May that be the condition of our heart. I'm asking you to step into your fear and see what God might do to build your faith. Let me pray. God, we ask you today to meet us in this room just as we are with our worries and our fears and to not be ashamed of those things, but to redirect them, to hand them to you. And every single day, our arms get filled up with those things that we're fearful of. And so when we gather here, this is an opportunity and an exercise to walk by faith and to let it go. And I pray that if somebody came in here with their hands full, that they would leave empty handed because they handed it to you. God, I pray that we could redirect our fears and our worries and trust you to walk in the strength that you provide. And we ask this right now in Jesus' name. And the church says, amen. Let's lift up our voices. Let's sing.